Today's reading comes from Psalm 148. Listen for the word of God to the church. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He established them forever and ever. He fixed their bounds, which cannot be passed. Praise the Lord from the earth, you sea monsters and all deeps. Fire and hail, snow and frost, stormy wind fulfilling his command. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars. Wild animals and all cattle, creeping things and flying birds. Kings of the earth and all peoples. Princes and all rulers of the earth. Young men and women alike, old and young together. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his faithful, for the people of Israel who are close to him. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Christmas can be complicated. For many, it is a difficult time of the year. And I have to admit, despite all of the complications it can bring, I still really love Christmas. I love seeing family and friends come together around a table to share in food and memories. I love participating in old traditions and starting to form new ones. I love the contagious joy that seems to infect almost everyone and everything. I love the generosity that comes at Christmas with people offering up their time and their money to those less fortunate. I love the care taken as people search to find the perfect present for each family member and friend. I love the endless supply of scrumptious cookies and sweets. And most of all, I love the church at Christmas. I love the poignant reminder that we have that God sent his only son to bring hope, joy, peace, and love. But I don't like the days after Christmas. The tree is still up, but it's wilting. The decorations just remind us that they're going to need to be boxed up sometime soon. And the holiday radio channels start to go back to their regular programming. If we're honest, it's, it feels a little weird even to sing Christmas songs and hymns after Christmas Day has come and gone. Many of, our, many of us came to church with enthusiasm and great celebration on Christmas Eve, but today perhaps we were a little less enthusiastic about coming to church. The reason for the season has already come, so what now? Today's Psalm, Psalm 148, was assigned to be read on this, the first Sunday after Christmas, from the Revised Common Lectionary. It's a collection of scripture readings that are compiled from this consultation of churches to complement the seasons of the church calendar. And perhaps this consultation of churches chose Psalm 148 for the first Sunday after Christmas because they imagined us to be exuberantly praising in the days after Christmas. But instead, many of us find ourselves in the post-Christmas letdown. 
Doesn't it feel more fitting to have this climactic psalm of praise read on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day in the peak of our celebrations and praise? Just a couple of days ago, Ryan and I were driving in the car, and he exclaimed, It's Christmas! And even though I am the Buddy the Elf level of enthusiastic about Christmas, I sadly responded, Not anymore. It's over. After Christmas, our songs of praise are cut short. Even Mary and Joseph's songs of praise for this miraculous child were cut short. Their child was not safe. King Herod had placed an order to find and kill this son of God. Their praise was then halted as they fled to find refuge and safety in a foreign country. And even once they found safety for Jesus, their praises were interrupted again. Jesus entered into ministry and faced temptation from Satan and was left with a target on his back for the rest of his ministry until he was finally betrayed. Doesn't it feel much harder to praise when we consider the realities of life? But the psalmist takes a different perspective. Having lamented, celebrated, mourned, danced, sung, cried out, and pleaded throughout the psalms, the psalmist concludes the book with these five psalms of praise. It's as if the psalmist is saying throughout all of the life, Throughout the sweet and the sour, we have reason to praise. It's as if he's saying to us, friends, don't you see it? Yes, we undoubtedly have reason to lament, to mourn, to cry, to plead, to fear. All of that is true. But even as we do so, there is still reason to praise. For God's extraordinary glory is revealed in the ordinary. We just spent Christmas marveling at the fact that the son whom God sent to save the world in the most extraordinary act of redemption came in the most ordinary way. Instead of coming on clouds of fire, this son of God arrived in the arms of a virgin teenage girl. Instead of sitting on a golden throne, this king of kings lay in a manger. Instead of being attended to by servants, this Prince of Peace was attended to by shepherds whose names we don't even know. God's extraordinary glory was revealed in the ordinary. For this reason, I think it's timely that we read Psalm 148 the Sunday after Christmas. Because it's so easy for us to lose sight of God's extraordinary glory in the ordinary. We expect the extraordinary in the height of the Christmas season. But when Christmas is over, we think there's no extraordinary left to see. God's glory has come and gone. But Psalm 148, it draws us back to the core of the Christmas story and the core of who God has shown God's self to be throughout Scripture. The God who reveals his extraordinary glory in the ordinary. The psalmist encourages us to look and listen carefully, to see the praises of God being lifted up in the areas where we least expect them or the areas we have taken most for granted. So first, the psalmist turns to the heaven. 
saying, praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Now, living in L.A., where creation is blurred by the city smog, and where you can count on your hands the number of dimly lit stars in the sky, it's not exactly a view that makes you exclaim, praise the Lord in the heavens. But let's take a moment to peer beyond the L.A. smog, to see the sky that God created. We're going to get a little nerdy this morning. So you see, we live in the Milky Way galaxy. Our galaxy is 52,850 light years wide. To put that in perspective for you, miles or kilometers, as I prefer, mean nothing in the universe. One light year is approximately 5.88 trillion miles. And if trillion is a word that doesn't mean a lot to you, that's 5.88 million million miles in one light year. And our galaxy is 52,000, that is a lot, 52,850 light years wide. Now that's just our galaxy. Over the last two decades, the Hubble Space Telescope has developed this ultra-deep field image to see into the darker spaces in the universe. You see, what we once thought were these empty black spaces, astronomers have discovered at least 10,000 other galaxies in just one corner of the universe. And this is that image. Beyond that, astronomers believe that there are around 100 billion, or again, to put that in perspective, that's 100,000 million more galaxies. Our 52,850 light-year big galaxy, along with billions of other galaxies in our universe, are singing praises to their creator. Or let's take a look at the psalm that the psalmist, the sun that the psalmist calls to praise. We may not be able to gaze directly at the sun to marvel at its wonder, but have you ever taken the time to think about how truly extraordinary it is? In her poem, Why I Wake Early, Mary Oliver calls the sun the best preacher that ever was. Have you ever stopped to listen to the sun preach? The sun is the largest object in our solar system, with 99.8% of the solar system's mass on its own, and is also big enough to fit over one million Earths inside of it. The sun is responsible for keeping the planets in their place through its gravitational pull. And by providing light and warmth to the earth every day, the sun is responsible for bringing life to vegetation and then to animals. Without the sun, the earth would just be a lifeless bowl of ice and rock. The sun produces breathtaking sunrises and sunsets that have inspired countless poems and Instagram posts. And the sun is also tied to your mental health. It's easy to take it for granted when we get an average of 284 sunny days a year in L.A. But many of you know what happens when you live in a city without so much sun. When we are exposed to sunlight, there are two things that happen in our body. Sunlight goes in through the eye, and it cues special areas in the retina that trigger the brain to release the hormone serotonin. 
Serotonin is the hormone that is associated with boosting your mood and helping you feel calm and focused. And not only that, the sun's ultraviolet B rays also hit the cholesterol in our skin cells, providing the energy you need to create vitamin D, which is also associated with the release of serotonin in the body. Decreased sun exposure is often what leads to a drop in serotonin level, which can then lead to something called seasonal affective disorder, associated with mood changes and depression. The sun, this great preacher, gives us the light, the energy, and the joy that we need to bring praise to God. Does that not make you say, praise the Lord? Or you might say, sure, these are awe-inspiring parts of creation, but how do they bring praise to God? Well, the psalmist goes ahead and tells us in verses 5 and 6, let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. He established them forever and ever. He fixed their bounds, which cannot be passed. The sun, moon, stars, and sky all bring praise to God just by their existence. Old Testament theologian Leslie Allen teaches that just as a fine piece of craftsmanship brings glory to its craftsmen, so the destiny of the created world is to glorify God by reflecting his power. All of creation is called to praise God because they have been created. The end game of all creation is to bring praise to its creator. We are able to calculate the times of sunrise and sunsets and the rise and fall of the tides. A quick Google search can get you the times to the minute of the sunrise and sunsets for December next year. We can calculate and plan for the days, the weather, and the seasons. I'm sure that many of you, when you got up this morning, checked your phone for the weather and you trusted that it was predictable. The trustworthiness of creation in its ordering models after the trustworthiness of its creator. The ordering of creation itself brings praise to God by witnessing to God's character. The psalmist then commands the earth to sing God's praises in verse 7. Praise the Lord from the earth, you sea monsters and old deeps. Fire and hail, snow and frost, stormy wind fulfilling his command. Now this verse should make you pause. There is something strange, isn't there, about fire and hail, snow and smoke and stormy wind bringing praise to God? Just when the psalmist got us on board with praising the heavens, the psalmist turns to fearful things, to forces of destruction that are also called to praise God. In New South Wales, Australia, where I grew up, there are around 70 fires right now continuing to burn throughout the state, scorching already more than 5.3 million acres of land and covering city in, the city of Sydney in toxic smog. New South Wales is not alone. Every major city in Australia is facing bushfires, combined with extremely high temperatures and winds that are adding extra fuel to the flame. 
This is a satellite image of the fires in Queensland State. It looks apocalyptic. Fire and smoke is not something that we imagine bringing praise to God. Or for those in much of the United States who know all too well the extremes of hail, frost, stormy winds, ice, and sleet, those who know the kind of weather that cancels plans, threatens homes, comfort, and safety. It is the kind of weather that leads people to curse God more than they praise God. How could the psalmist call on these destructive forces to bring praise to God? Why not just leave them out? In the Old Testament, we read that sin infects creation. Like humankind, creation rebels against God and against God's purposes. And yet, Psalm 148 brings all of creation, even the destructive forces, back to the will of God. God redeems creation so that the earth, sea monsters and old deeps, fire and hail, snow and frost, stormy wind will all say, praise the Lord. Then the psalmist turns to the rest of the earth. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all setters, wild animals and all cattle, creeping things and flying birds. Friends, have you ever been stopped dead in your tracks by something beautiful? When the only word that you can muster is wow. Did you look north this week to see those snow-capped mountains? Were you caught by their majesty? A few years back, I went home to Australia and visited the Blue Mountains. It is humbling to walk through these mountains and get to the top to look out and see the expanse. To know that the God who created these mountains, the trees, the animals that fill the forest, created them to sing his praise. Their very existence shows the glory of their creator. Or perhaps that moment for you is when you stand by the ocean. When you see the endless expanse of the waters. You see the horizon where God has marked the boundaries of the water and the sky. You wonder about the depths of the ocean that you cannot see and touch. You wonder about the creatures both big and small. The intricacies and details of the ocean cannot help but bring praise to God. Recently, our own Heidi Klump taught me about a miraculous jellyfish. I'm going to mess up this name. But Teratopsis dorni, or the immortal jellyfish. True to its name, this is cool, this jellyfish is the only known immortal species on Earth. When the jellyfish suffers from an attack starvation or some kind of environmental stress, it reverts to an early stage of life as a polyp. Once a polyp, again, the jellyfish can then form exact replicas of itself. It is like if a butterfly were able to change back into a caterpillar or a chicken back into an egg. The immortal jellyfish are basically the Benjamin Button of jellyfish. Their very existence preaches the majesty of God. Finally, the psalmist turns to us to join the chorus of praise throughout creation. 
It's notable that humans are not the first called on to praise in the psalm. Instead, we are the lost. When we think of praise, often we imagine these Sunday morning worship services. Praise begins at 10 a.m. and ends around 11.15. And we may have a few more events throughout the year that praise God. But by and large, God's praise begins and ends with our worship services. But Psalm 148 echoes Jesus' words in Luke's gospel. If the people are quiet, even the stones will cry out. Even when we leave worship on a Sunday morning, even when Christmas is over, creation does not stop singing God's praise. It's notable that the psalm references the sun, moon, and stars all praising God. That means that by day and by night, creation is singing praise to God. It is never silenced. Rather than beginning or ending the praise of God, we learn from the model of creation for how we should praise. The psalmist says, Do the same, all kings of the earth and all peoples. Princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and women alike, old and young together. The psalmist commands everything and everyone to bring praise to God, even the ruler and the kings of the earth, those who are often portrayed in scripture as the enemies of God. Even the politicians and rulers now who we seem to believe are the enemies, the psalmist calls on to worship. Just as no man or woman is outside of God's redemption, so no man or woman is exempt from this call to praise. The psalmist has made it clear that there is a command for us to praise God. But why? What purpose does it serve? Well, the psalmist goes on to tell us in verses 13 and 14. He says, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his faithful. For the people of Israel who are close to him, praise the Lord. It is easy for us to get caught up in praising creation for how incredible it is. We could spend all day talking about how cool creation is, but if we stop there, we miss the point. All of creation is a signpost pointing to God whose name alone is exalted. If creation really is this extraordinary, and all creation does is reflect a tiny aspect of God's majesty, then how could we not lose ourselves to praise? The Westminster Shorter Catechism, a 17th century summary of the principles of Christianity, writes that the chief end of man is to enjoy God and glorify him forever. Friends, our chief purpose is to glorify God who created the sun and moon and all the shining stars, to praise the God who created the earth. Our purpose is to praise the God who redeems even the destructive forces and brings them under his command. Our purpose is to bring praise to the God who created the most awe-inspiring mountains, hills, fruit trees, and animals that live within them. 
Our purpose is to praise the God that sent his only son to be born in a manger and to bring life to us all. Our purpose is to praise God for the trustworthiness of creation as a reflection of his own character. We glorify God for God redeems every man, woman, and child every enemy and every friend, calling them together for the chorus of praise. We praise because it shifts our attention away from ourselves to the God who is above it all. And in so doing, we acknowledge that our lives and all of creation is God-given, God-sustained, and God-claimed. When we join the chorus of creation in praise, we surrender our control to the God who is Lord over it all. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.